Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my many sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will treat transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifice of righteousness, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bills will be offered on your altar. For some reason, the newspapers in the UK love a good royal scandal, which is really fortunate because the royal family seem to be very intent on providing them with those scandals. Uh, the scandal that's been bubbling away just recently uh, is one involving Prince Andrew. He's clearly made some terribly bad choices about who it is that he hangs out with. And he, so far, has had to pay out $10 million, US dollars, in order to settle uh, one of these cases that came before the courts. And to cap it off, he's been stripped of his royal title as well as most of his royal duties. The damage has been done and it would be hard to see him making any return to royal life. Now, I mention all of that because it's a royal scandal that we're talking about when we're looking at Psalm 51. 
there's an inscription at the top there, uh, the just above the first verse, which is actually part of the text. And in the Hebrew Bible, this was the first verse of the psalm, and it says this. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This psalm is connected to a very specific event that we read about in the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And I'm sure most people would be aware of what this incident was. It took place at the height of King David's reign. He was the loved and respected king of Israel. The country was never more prosperous or secure than it was under David's leadership. Maybe it was a midlife crisis. He would have been around about 40 when this happened. Maybe it's just plain old lust. But David saw a beautiful woman from his balcony. Her name was Bathsheba. David knew that she was married, but he ordered that she be brought to the palace. I guess David thought that it was just going to be one simple little night. He hadn't expected that she would fall pregnant. And to complicate matters, her husband was away fighting in King David's army. This is not looking good. David knows that he's done the wrong thing. He slept with another man's wife, for goodness sake. So what's he going to do? Well, this is where it goes from bad to worse. First, he tries to get Bathsheba's husband to come home, Uriah, and to sleep with his wife. And as the story unfolds, we realise that Uriah is a far more honourable man than David is. In 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11, we read this. This is Uriah's uh, words at the thought of coming home and spending the evening with his wife. The ark is in Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab, my Lord's men, are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as I live, I will not do such a thing. So David takes the extraordinary step of having it arranged for Uriah to die. And he does it in a devious way. He arranges for him to die in battle. He gave the order that Uriah was to lead the troops into battle, but as soon as the fighting started, all of the other soldiers were to withdraw and to leave him there to be murdered alone. It began as one simple night of passion, and now... It's led to murder. Uriah is dead. Bathsheba moves into the palace. It becomes one of David's wives. You kind of got to wonder whether or not David might have even thought that people would respect him for taking in this pregnant war widow. And it looks like he might have got away with it. That is until the prophet Nathan confronts him. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel. We won't look at that now. But it's clearly one of the most dramatic scenes in the whole Bible. And Psalm 51 is David's confession of his sin. I really think it's incredible that we actually have these sorts of stories in the Bible. If they were stories from your family history, you wouldn't be including them. These are not the sort of things that you would want other people to know. It's incredible that every detail of David's wrongdoing is spelled out for us. If you read any of the autobiographies of of recent leaders, uh, even in this country, 
they may mention a few mistakes that they made, but they'll probably just be telling you about those mistakes so they can justify themselves and, and prove themselves to ultimately be right. Read John Howard's book. You won't find him devoting large sections to the dumbest things that he ever did in his life. Peter Costello will tell you about those things. You don't need to worry about reading John Howard's book. But that's not so for the history of God's people. The most tragic mistakes of the the king who was the most beloved king in the history of Israel, everything's revealed. All the details are laid out in front of us. No excuses are offered, no justifications are attempted, no blame shifting going on here, no trying to sweep this under the carpet. There it is in all its ugliness. And Psalm 51 is David's personal response to God when he is confronted with his sinfulness. But I think there's a reason that this is included in the Bible. It's there because it's important to show us the things that David did, the sins that he committed, because we're also sinful people. And more than that, it shows us what God is ultimately like. So what what does this show us about sin? Well, I think the first thing is that we learn that sin is serious. Now, that may be stating the glaringly obvious, but as a wise man once said, if you stop saying the glaringly obvious things, then they cease to be glaringly obvious. Sin is serious. David's sin was really serious, and your sin and my sin is serious. David's been confronted with the things that he's done and let's be honest, they are shocking things that he's done and David knows the seriousness of his situation. He knows that he desperately needs to be forgiven. But he also realises that it's not just these recent sins that he needs to be forgiven for. He realises that in the whole of his life he's been tainted by sin. He's been sinful right from the time that he was born. That's what it says there in Psalm 51, verse number 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the, ta- from the time my mother conceived me. Now, it's important to recognise that David's not just talking about himself here. He's talking about all of us, isn't he? Every last one of us is ultimately born sinful. You don't have to teach your children to do the wrong thing. They know that intrinsically, though. Some of my children are even sitting here this morning. But it's true, right from birth, they know how to do the wrong thing and will be more than willing to do it. Sin is part of our very nature, part of our makeup. Sin's not just a few isolated things that we did. Sin is embedded deep down in all of us. Now, that's not to say we can't do good things or we can't be compassionate or, or gracious or forgiving. We can do all of those things. But that doesn't wipe out the fact that there is still sin at our core. If you don't believe that about yourself, then I just want to say, you're kidding yourself. You, me, David, we're all born sinful. And what makes sin serious is that it creates a barrier between us and God. David's sin stands in the way of friendship with God. Something has to be done about that sin before he can be restored to a relationship with God. Our sin leaves us with a serious problem. 
Now, the second thing that we learn about sin from this psalm is that a genuine recognition of sin will result in a desire to change. If we truly understand that we've sinned against God, we will want that to end. We will want that to change. With some of the scandals that we've seen in recent years with the royals and with others, you get the impression that the only thing that they're sorry about was the fact that they got caught. They don't seem to be terribly sorry about what it is that they've done. You get the impression that the only thing that they would change if they had their life over again is make sure that they didn't get caught. But if you recognise that you've done the wrong thing, if you recognise that sin is serious, if you recognise that sin stands between you and a relationship with God, then you'll want to do something about it. You'll want that situation to change. And that's clearly what David says all the way through this psalm. If you've got the Bible there at Psalm 51, have a look at verse number 2. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. David realises how serious sin is and he wants to change. But did you notice that with each of those verses, it's not about him making the change, it's about surrendering to God so that God can make that change. It's about asking God to change us. You don't fix sin by trying harder. Sin doesn't get fixed from our end. The first step in fixing your sin problem is to acknowledge that you can't fix your sin problem. You have to surrender to God. You have to create, ask God to create that clean heart in you. You have to ask God for that steadfast spirit. I really do think that this psalm gives us a great insight into sin. But it also gives us a great insight into God. Have a look at verse number 3, Psalm 51. David says this, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And when you know the background of this psalm and you read that, those verses there, you've got to be thinking to yourself, really? David David has sinned in a pretty dramatic way here. He's not only sinned against God, you'd think he's sinned against Bathsheba and he's definitely sinned sinned against Uriah. But David says, against you only, God, have I sinned. What David is saying is that the most significant aspect of his sin is that he's done things that are wrong in God's sight and it's God who ultimately judges. It's God to whom we are accountable. So in the end, the most significant sin that he's committed is against God. But by far the biggest lesson that we actually learn in this psalm is that the God who judges is also the God who is willing and able to forgive. David's been confronted with his sinfulness. He knows that he has sinned against God. 
but more than anything, he knows that he, turn, that he needs to turn to God for forgiveness. The only one who can deal with David's sin is God. The only one who can make things right is God. Look at a few more verses, back to verse number one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse two, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse nine, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Verse 14, save me from blood guilt, O God the God who saves me. And what was true for David is equally true for us. We need to recognise our sin. We need to confess our sin. He says this in verse 16, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Our sin is not going to be dealt with from our end. It won't be dealt with by what we do. It isn't fixed by us trying harder. It can only be dealt with by God. No amount of sacrifices from our end, no amount of good deeds, no amount of hard work can cover up our sin. What God wants from us is that we humble ourselves before him. What God wants is that we come to him with that broken and contrite heart. I think this psalm is probably one of the greatest psalms out of the 150 that we have in the book of Psalms. It gives us such a good insight into the nature of sin and the nature of God's forgiveness. But can I say, you and I, you and I know more about forgiveness than poor old King David did. We know more because we know what happened on the cross when Jesus died. We know more clearly how serious sin is. We know more about the lengths that God is willing to go to for us to be forgiven. Because we know that Jesus came to die. We sit here today in this building as people who know more about sin and forgiveness than David. Do you know the thing that comes to mind when I read this psalm? When I read this psalm, I always wonder about how many people there are out there like David. They know that they've done the wrong thing. They've cheated on their wife or they've cooked the books at the office or it may be some indiscretions from their youth. They've been able to cover it up so far, but they carry that guilt with them. They know that they've done the wrong thing. And it may be that no one else knows anything about it. But they know. And they continue to live with that bone-crushing guilt. And for plenty of them, they just don't know where to turn to forgiveness I mean think about your non-church friends or your neighbours or possibly even your family you may not even know what it is that they feel guilty about as I said indiscretions from their youth mistakes in a midlife crisis 
or serious things perhaps that they feel like they might have got away with but they continue to feel that guilt and then think about what David says in this psalm verse 13 he says then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you David knows this message of forgiveness is not just about him it's a message for sharing with other people there are people like him living with that bone crushing guilt there are people like him who need to hear that God is willing to forgive God longs to forgive us and God has made forgiveness possible David could say then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you well how much more should we be able to say and be able to hold that incredible message of the forgiveness that's found in Jesus.